been doing the book of Acts for a while now. We're about midway through, and we have just sensed the Lord saying, pause, and jump into something. And the thing that we're going to jump into is something that I am so uncomfortable with. Can I just tell you? It is something I know is a growth edge for me, and kind of the way we roll around here is... It, whether it's me, whoever's up here talking to you, I'm never going to tell you to do something that I'm not doing myself and that I'm not leaning into myself. And so when you hear us speak and we teach from something, we're not like, what does this passage say and have, what do they really need to hear? We just do it. We do it ourselves. We lean in and we want to know what God is trying to say to us. And then we say, hey, you guys want to come along for the last leg of the journey and hear what the Lord is doing? And so Prayer is a new and very old thing. And honestly, we figured we've tried everything else. We might as well try this. We might as well lean in to prayer. And I, I would be the first to say as I jump into it, and not that I've never prayed, but I do feel this. I'm kind of new here, Jesus. I'm, I'm new here. And, you know, old ways of doing church stuff where they'd make the new person stand up in front of everybody. This is Chad. Where are you from? Um, that was like the worst. Going to a new church, your parents are like, yeah, go into that school class, Sunday school class with all these people you don't know. And they're going to make you stand up and tell them your name. And it's just awful. But I know I'm supposed to be doing it. I know that there's power in prayer. Have you ever had something like this that you know you really need it? You know you really need it but you feel completely out of your element, nervous, almost a bit sick as you think about it. And then you actually try to do it the first time. And in your head, you have conversations like this. What am I doing? I have no idea what I'm doing. I wonder if anyone else knows that I don't know what I'm doing. Should I be here? Is somebody going to kick me out of doing this? So let me show you this quick video. I just took this on Friday. Um, there we go. Uh, this is practice field at Wheaton College in Illinois. This is where I felt some of the worst feelings I have ever felt in my life as far as being unprepared. And you're getting a call in the middle of the service. Wow. <laughs> um, I felt unprepared and didn't know what I was doing. I had not, no worries. Uh, I had not played soccer for three years in high school. Actually, sophomore year, decided not to play. I was uncomfortable. Just didn't like it anymore, so I'd play football until my senior year. It was a great time. And then I started, I was going to go to soccer, go to college. And I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to, maybe I'll play soccer. I called the coach. And I asked, I said, hey, my name is Chad Ellenberg. I'm an incoming freshman. This was 1991. Uh, and I said, I am want to know if maybe I could try out for the team. He said, sure, be in shape, click. <laughs> I've never felt more nervous. It's all, I remember arriving to Wheaton a week early. I didn't have my stuff. My parents were going to come, come a week later with all my stuff to go into my dorm. So I am in an empty dorm room. Just left home. I've only known home. And the reason I was here this last Friday is took Abigail, my youngest, down there to visit. But I've, I've not known anything else but home. And so I'm in a dorm room. I don't have food. I got a little bit of money in my pocket, like little bit of money, like barely 10 bucks. 
but I don't have any way to get to any kind of fast food or anything. And so I called my mom. I was like, hey. She's like, hey. I said, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm here. I, just, I don't really see anybody around. I know I've got a meeting tonight at 9. It's the first team meeting. It's at this place called Armoreding Hall. I think I know where it is. Uh, I had a sleeping bag. I had my soccer cleats, a couple changes of clothes. And I said, I'm kind of hungry, Mom. <laughs> She's like nine hours away. She goes, why don't you go see if there's something in the dorm? And so I am literally walking the halls of the dorm. Nobody's there. Lights are out. Stuff is not set up. Nobody's there. And I'm like, this is awful. This is awful. I find a vending machine. I bought a Coke and those chili-flavored Fritos. Remember they, they used to have those? And I went back to my dorm room, and I sat on my bunk bed with no sheets. My sleeping bag still rolled up, my bag there, and I just sat down, and it's like, okay, guess this is uh, college. <laughs> I went to that meeting. I don't know anybody. Not only do I not know anybody, everybody is a soccer player. They're good soccer players. They've got the gear that you wear in between playing soccer. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like they're wearing the pants that you don't wear on the field. They have the soccer sandals. I'm like, what are those? Like, I didn't even know they had those. You know, the Adidas ones with the blue and white, the slip-ons, they're kind of cool. I didn't have that. I'm sitting there, I don't know anybody. They go through the meeting, I don't know what was said, but the one thing I do know that was said was, okay, you guys know that you have to run the mile in under five minutes and 30 seconds to make this team. I did know that. I've been training for two weeks, that's it. <laughs> and so he said, and we do it tonight. Meet you at the track at 10. I was like, mom! Like, I mean, you just, this awful, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. They don't even know that I haven't played soccer for three years. We go down to that track. Somehow, I made it, 526 or something like that, just barely. I felt like I was going to die at the end of it. And I learned how to play soccer. I'll tell you, I learned the game at Wheaton. Played for three years, got hurt my senior year. That was difficult, but if that difficulty hadn't come, I wouldn't have met my wife. <laughs> so good change-off, right? Leave soccer, get a wife. Yay! <laughs> But in the moment, it was difficult. But how I felt about Wheaton College soccer, and I was there, when I was there on Friday, I, you know, and I'm leaning into prayer right now, and I felt the Spirit say, let's go. I was like, I really don't want to. Let's go. I parked next to the field. I stood on that field, and I just kind of held my camera, and, and I was like, oh, Lord. And he said, yeah, but we, we did it, didn't we? We did we did make it through. I feel the same way about prayer. I know he's calling me to it, but it's uncomfortable. Did you know, though, that prayer is one of the most precious things to God when it comes to you? It's one of the most neglected things for us, but it's one of the most precious things to him for you. Did you know it's the one time in the New Testament that Jesus flipped out? prayer. It's the one time he went bazonkers. He made a whip. 
He went into the temple, and if you dig in a little bit, they had to buy sacrifices. And so outside the temple for a poor person, you could buy a little dove for maybe six cents. But the priests had made it sound like you really need to buy the sacrifice that is sold inside the temple. And so if you go into the temple, guess how much that dove cost? 75 cents. But this is the more holy one. That was the kind of stuff they were ripping people off. They were making it difficult to get to God. And God made a whip. <laughs> and God went in and just started driving out the animals and flipping tables and money's going everywhere. And he says, my house shall be a house of prayer. Remember Ken Geyer is an author that I love. He's the one I always mention, Moments with the Savior devotional, if you're ever looking for one. And he said he pictures a Gentile because where they would have sell it, been selling the sacrifices would have been the outer court, which is the only place that the Gentiles could go to worship. And he said he pictures a Gentile over in the corner as you hear all of this bartering. And he goes, this guy's over here in the corner and he's, he's like, he's trying to pray. Jesus is just gripping that whip. He is very passionate about you being able to have access to him. But when it comes to me, I've struggled. I got a rough history. 1994, took my first pastoring job in North Carolina, youth pastor. I heard a pastor begin his prayer like this, almost with a radio voice and a used car salesman. He said, thrice holy God. And I said, oh no, I don't belong here. Years later, I would be in a different environment, and I would hear and watch someone berate another person because they weren't really meaning it, and they weren't pressing into prayer the way they needed to. Kind of two opposite extremes. One says, you better wear a tux, and your language should be formal and perfect. The other says, you better mean it. You better have zeal and press in, and both are gross. Both aren't helpful. I felt discouraged. I feel discouraged. Yet Jesus says, hey, listen to me. He says, you should start like this. Abba, Father. You know, my kids merely have to look at me. They don't even have to say a word or form a sentence. And if I see a look in their eyes that says, I need you, dad, what am I doing? Any dad in this room, what are you doing? I will give you everything. I will help you no matter what. You don't have to perform a perfect request to your dad. You don't have to really, really, really mean it or say it a hundred times. I'm coming. But Jesus also prayed loud and in anguish. Hebrews 5, during his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. How do you do that? How do you pray loud and with tears and with reverence? How do you pray also with Abba? He also said this, Matthew 6, when you pray, go into your private room. Shut the door. Pray to your father who's in secret. 
And your Father who's in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. Don't just fill up the space with words. Your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Lord, which is it? (laughs) Which is it? Yes. Right? Yes. It's Abba. It's loud sometimes. It's anguish. You know, I heard this last week. I was listening to somebody on prayer, and he said, you know, if my daughter is in the hospital dying from leukemia, I don't necessarily want somebody sitting there who's going to stare at a candle and be all quiet. I kind of want somebody who maybe is going to lift their voice a little bit with me and ask God to do something. He says yes to all of them, but I still am asking, Lord, can you teach me? I want to pray. I'm willing. I think we are willing. I think we are willing. I think it's what we need. I think it's what we need more than anything. And as I said, we've tried everything else in the Western church. We've tried everything else in the Western church. I think COVID and the election and the craziness that's all been happening around the last few years has been awful and difficult, but I also think the Lord has been using it to say, I'm going to lay waste to these things that I have seen a long time that do not give access to me. They don't work. And I want to take you back to these ancient, secret, wonderful practices of sitting with me, of reading my word and of talking to me. So Lord, teach us, teach us. So you'd think we'd go straight to that passage. Lord, teach us to pray. Remember that one? Jesus did the Lord's prayer. And we're going to get there eventually. But I asked the Lord, where do we start this week? Which one should we go to? And he directed me to the crucifixion. Last minute, mercy, Luke 23, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. Luke 23, 32, two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. Jesus. Just imagine this. This isn't a fun thing. This is a public execution. People are going to be killed. People are going to watch it. They're going to hear people taking their last breaths. They're going to see violence. They're going to gather for violence. That's the scene. This can easily be scrubbed over because we've heard it so many times, but they're going to be executed. They arrived at the place called the skull. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. It's probably so, you know, Christianized in our minds over the years of the three crosses and the nice, you know, you may have one around your neck. You may have some bookmark that has it on there or a picture in your room, but it's a bloody, violent thing. Crucifixion. Then Jesus said, Father, which we could say, then Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. They divided his clothes and played a game to see who would get to take them home. That's what they're doing. By the way, Jesus is naked. Those nice paintings that we've seen from Italian Renaissance painters of, you know, the perfectly draped cloth and stuff like Jesus is naked. They've ripped his clothes off. They're playing a game, gambling to see who gets to take them home. If you want to learn about prayer, you must first start with the darkness, the emptiness, the chaos 
of pre-creation. This moment, Jesus on the cross, is a moment similar to Genesis 1, or actually pre-Genesis 1. Captivity of Egypt is another moment in the Old Testament. The slaves there, Israelites. Jesus is both recreating here and acting as the second and better Moses to lead us through the darkness. The same way that the Spirit of God, Genesis 1, hovered over the chaos and the darkness of the deep, the pre-created, formless, chaotic waters of the earth, Jesus now hangs over creation. The chaos and the darkness of our sin. He stands alone. He is by himself. You want to know about prayer? You know that it begins with God. It does not. I was reading this book this past week by Tyler Staten. Prayer doesn't begin with us. It begins with God. It doesn't start with speaking. It starts with seeing. We see him hanging over pre-created chaos and darkness. Whenever you see waters, the chaos of the waters, the ocean in Egypt, the Sinai before it's parted, the Red Sea, that represents the chaos and darkness, the slavery, destruction of sin. So in the darkness of our sin, in the inability of our brokenness, in the trauma of our souls where we can't see, we can't speak, we can't even act in any way other than according to the darkness, Jesus speaks. What does he not say? You deserve this! What's happening here? You deserve this. You're such awful people. You should be thankful that I'm doing this for you. Doesn't do that. Amidst the darkness and brutality of being falsely condemned and executed, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. So one of the most important things to remember about prayer is this. Jesus prays when we don't. He prays even when we won't. He prays for you when you're like, no. Even in the act of crucifying him. Now, what does empty religion say about prayer? It's self-earning, it's self-deserving, it's work your way to the top. Spirituality, it says you better pray. If you don't pray, mm, something bad. Chad, your prayers better have the right words too. You better not have anything on your spiritual clothes. Nothing out of place. Wait your turn as well. Don't you speak out of turn. If you don't have anything good to pray, you work on it until you do. Or what's the other side? Chad, you're just not putting in the effort, are you? Your prayers are weak. You don't really want it, do you? You don't want it. What are you doing here? What are they doing instead of praying here? Killing the Son of God. Oh, is that all? Killing the Son of God, and yet he prays for them. And yet he prays for us because it's our sins that killed him. It's our sins that he was condemned for. The world's back is turned on Jesus here. And it's deeper than just avoiding him, isn't it? It's not just like, yeah, I don't care about God. I'm just going to walk on. It's, I don't care about him. I reject him. I violently reject him. And I even take the clothes off his back and the thing that he has provided in Christianity and scripture and prayer and his people. And I stomp on it and I say, no, and I steal, take, play games with it. 
Nobody's praying here but Jesus. This is where we start if we want to learn about prayer. Nobody's praying but Jesus. So what's everybody else doing? Verse 35, the people stood watching. They're just watching this whole thing happen. Even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one, right? Soldiers mocked him. Jesus said he was thirsty. And so they said, this will be fun. They gave him vinegar, which everybody knows won't quench your thirst. Put it up to his mouth. You can just imagine Jesus burning some of the open wounds that were there anyway, but just turning his head. They laughed about it. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. This is interesting where God took me with this. Because what I think is happening here is I think Jesus is cornering us. <laughs> I think he has us right where he wants us in this moment. You may think they have Jesus right where they want him. Jesus is exactly where he wants to be at this moment. And the people around him are literally, you think he's pinned to the cross? He's got them pinned all in front of him. The moment is holding them down. He's like, this is right. So what happens to people who get pinned in the presence of God? As we decided, our leadership team said, hey, let's do this. Let's lean into prayer. Let's go for it. I decided I'm going. I'm going to do this, Lord. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to pursue communion with you in conversation. I'm going to put myself in front of Jesus. It's been a few weeks now. And we didn't know we were going to do this. We were just like, oh, let's pray a little bit. Let's see what happens. Let's do a prayer meeting Wednesday mornings. So it's been a few weeks now, not only the prayer meeting, not only pursuing the things that God has asked us to pray for as a church for this year, love God, love others, get low, but also doing something I'm going to invite you to do with me at the end, which is called a daily prayer rhythm, three times a day, morning, midday, evening. You want to know what's happened? Nothing. <laughs> at first. Nothing. And then, slowly, as my heart began to appreciate and understand the rhythm, like a small candle flame, it started to grow and get oxygen. Expectation, looking forward to meeting with Jesus, wanting to hear from him, knowing he's going to answer. I'm so excited. And then something unexpected. Anger. I was like, this doesn't seem like good fruit. <laughs> I don't do well with someone riding my tail on Highway 61. I don't know about you. I don't know how spiritual you are. <laughs> In fact, sometimes, and I just found this super interesting, right in the middle of, I'm going to go for this, Lord. I'm going to pursue you. I want to be in your presence. Somebody got right behind me, and there's just part of me that was like, not today. <laughs> So, you know, you do that thing where it's like, you know, you should just, what? Just get over. Don't give them the stare when they go by. But you do, don't you? You're like waiting, 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 and then you go. <laughs> you know, you just, everybody wants to do that look. And so I, 
I didn't get over. I sped up. <laughs> but not as fast as this guy wanted me to go. And so I realized eventually it's like, okay, I'm getting into disobedient speeding. Yeah, I, there's a few law enforcement officers in here too. Sorry. <laughs> so the Lord got me and I, I moved over and he drove by and he spoke to me in sign language. <laughs> And it was one of those moments when you were like, what is wrong with you, Chad? And so if you're in here this morning, <laughs> if that was you, that was me. <laughs> and seriously, I, at that moment, I immediately was like, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What is going on? I was even asking a friend. I was like, I've been pursuing this prayer thing. And what seems to be coming out is anger. The thing that is my default go-to sin is somehow popping up in unexpected places because I'm trying to pursue Jesus. Hmm. And I just realized, I was like, oh, Jesus has me right where he wants me. You know, mocking, scoffing, and insulting is a powerful technique of the enemy. It's the worst kind of cursing and assault. It's disbelief and trash talk. It's a fake offering, sour wine with laughter when the victim says they're thirsty. It's sarcastic, sarcasm. King of the Jews, really? Show your power. Jesus could call down, he even said it, he could call down a legion of angels to rescue him, to pull him off the cross, to blow it up like supernatural power. This is incredible. Brr, he's really the king. He could do that at this moment. He could shut them up, but he doesn't. He just takes it again and again and again. Why? What's happening here? Love covers over a multitude of sins. Because of God's great love, Christ died for us. This is the reason he's here. And it's crucial that we understand it. The depth of God's love can absorb your worst. When you just want to burn it all down. The depth of God's love can absorb your worst deep enough to absorb the gawking, the scoffing, the mocking, the fake offerings, the insult, a love so deep that after you have unloaded your best insult to Jesus, your most ardent disbelief, your angriest scoff, he speaks in the silence to say, is that all you've got? I can take more. I can take your worst. Anything else, any deep or dark sins that you think disqualify you from my love? Because I'm staying right here. I'm here because of those sins. I'm here because of that place. I'm here because I love you. Jesus is present and he is absorbing the worst we can bring. Notice nobody else has prayed yet. Nobody's, this is about prayer today. And nobody else has prayed except for Jesus. All they got for him is insults and the worst. The love of God is doing something. 
doing something. Not for everybody, but there's something mysterious about his work and our response. Scripture will never relieve that tension for you, by the way. Anybody that tells you, no, no, it's this and this, it won't. God is moving. He says he is, and he says, I want you to move too. He won't resolve that tension for you. Something's happening though, and for those who are willing, it's the prayer of Jesus. It's the love of Jesus that is causing something to move. And one reminder before I show you how it moves. Both criminals were mocking Jesus. Matthew 27, 44, if you don't believe me, both criminals heaved insults at him. It wasn't that one was righteous and the other one was really bad. Both insulted him. Verse 40, last few verses. The other answered. The other criminal answered. The other criminal. So they're like talking. Here's Jesus in the middle and he's talking back to that guy. Rebuking him. Don't you even fear God? Since you're undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly. We're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. By the way, if you want to know how to respond to Jesus, here it is. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, I, am, I think he was like this. I can't believe I'm going to do this. I can't believe I'm going to do this. He's in pain. He's dying. But he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? I imagine a pause here. I don't imagine it was immediate. A look. And he said to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. One other pastor pointed out, whenever you see the word paradise, it can be translated garden. It's also the word for heaven. Scripture begins in a garden. It ends in a garden. The Garden of Eden is restored and brought heaven to earth. And so he said, it's as if Jesus was saying, hey, later today, I'll meet you in the garden. I'll meet you in the garden. I want to point out something that is easy to miss. And it's the in-between moments. In, but you have to always look in between the verses to think, because that's usually the point where God is really trying to speak to you, to get you to pause. There's silence in between some of these phrases. Things don't just happen. This was hours. This was hours of this stuff happening. So there's lots of pauses. There's lots of breaks. What we hear in between the prayer of Jesus and the insults and the laughing of others is silence. You'd be tempted, as am I, to think nothing's happening here. God's dying. Be still. Know that I am God. Be still. Watch him work. Watch him work in the silence. Learn in the silence. See him. He's moving. He's working. One of the new practices I am learning, I've totally stolen this from uh, Tyler Statton, the guy I'm reading a book uh, called Pray Like Monks, Live Like Fools. Excellent book, challenging me. He said, start your day, and I do this in the morning with my chair time and my dog, and I sit there and I open my hands and I say, come, Holy Spirit. And then I just sit. 
I don't fill up the space. Silence. Do you know that silence is a very important part of prayer? There is silence happening in between the words here. The idea that stillness and silence is a place of prayer is new to me, but I like it. I like it especially because I heard people in my past tell me I needed to be filling up those things with very formal words or very urgent words. And I like that I can just sit and say, is this, is this cool, Lord, to sit and just listen? Yeah, it is. It's clear that Jesus did this. Jesus often went away in silence and solitude. You know, he didn't always speak. He didn't fill every waking moment with words. Silence is important. Sometimes he's just present and wants you to know it. One of the scandals of prayer, same guy, Tyler Statton, says, is it scandalous for us to just sit there and let God love us? <laughs> it's scandalous. We feel like this isn't right. I need to be saying something. I need to be doing something. But in this moment of darkness and silence, something beautiful happens. This criminal is being moved by the love of God. His words had been hateful, scornful, mocking, insulting, but now they feel like vomit in his mouth. He doesn't want to say him again. And from the depths of his broken and dying body and soul, the tiniest flicker of faith begins to sneak through dark corners and crevices, and he prays, Jesus, remember me. It's a beautiful prayer. We're going to do this, though it may seem cheesy. When we read these prayers, we're going to say best prayer ever. Ready? Best prayer ever. You can do better. You had an extra hour of sleep. Ready? Best <laughs> prayer ever. Get it in your head. Jesus, remember me. If you have been in a place of unbelief, anger, hurt, frustration, sick of the church, sick of all of it, maybe this is your prayer today. Lord, I got nothing else to say. My life is broken. I'm broken. The consequences I find myself on, I deserve. I know it. I can't save myself. Can you remember me? It's interesting if you dig a little bit in the other versions of this in the Gospels, the word used for criminals is robbers, which if you look deeper, the translation of robber is insurrectionist, which what is that? It means these guys probably weren't thieves they were rebelling against Rome in the name of Israel and the Messiah that is to come. We will take back the land. Uh-oh. Trusting in the world's kingdom versus God's kingdom. I think as he hung there, this criminal insurrectionist pinned this is it. I'm dying. I think he said, I think I made a mistake. I don't think that was the way. Somehow, in the silence, he looks to Jesus. And it isn't just, can you help me? He says powerful things. Jesus, I think you have a kingdom. I think you're going there. And I think it's more powerful than this kingdom. And I would like to be a part of it. Is there any way? He takes this risk. He has no right to speak. I know I was just mocking you with everybody else. 
I know this is last minute. But in God's timing, it's never last minute. It's never last minute. My question is, how does this even happen? How do you go from mocking to believing in the kingdom of God? Here's my answer from the text. The unceasing prayer of Jesus for me and for you and his love on display as he pours out his life. Jesus' word, the word of God, John said it, in the beginning was the word, the word speaks and creation happens. The word of God speaks into the chaos and he recreates. The blood of the lamb gets applied to your hearts. God is struck down and the waters part. And guess what? He makes a path and he says, new exodus right here. Everybody on me. We're going through. Old Testament exodus, blood on the door through the water. New Testament reframing of the exodus. Jesus, our new Moses, our new exodus says through blood and water. His blood, water poured out of his side. There's so many parallels to the Old Testament, but he's basically saying, look, I am doing this. If you want in, you can have it. The insurrectionist on the cross is just responding to the creative word. The way a seed would respond to the sun shining on it or water being poured on it. It just does what it's supposed to do because the creator is calling it forth. He can't even help it as it percolates up in his heart. And how does Jesus respond to this kind of prayer? Okay. Today. Amidst, think about everything else that's happened in these few hours. The worst stuff coming out. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. It, I'm going to say it again, it is never too late. As long as you have breath in your lungs today, it is never too late. There are other cra- others in the crowd. There's a centurion. Has he said, Jesus, remember me yet? Nope. There's a Pharisee or two. Have they said, Jesus, remember me yet? Nope. But the love of God is doing its work and they will. They will. How about you? I'm going to have those who are serving communion to come forward and begin passing that out. And I'm going to do a nice move here, lifting a table. There we go. How sweet that we... I'm so this happens to me so many times. I walk in and I go back there with my notes and I talk to Josh and whoever's running pro presenter. Okay, okay, let's walk through this. And I was like, there's this, there's this, there's this. And he goes, and then there's communion. I was like, shoot, there's communion today. Okay. (laughs) It happens all the time. But what's really neat is what are we talking about today? The cross. Jesus pouring out his life and we are coming to the table. I'm just going to put that there. I'm going to have them start serving. And I will frame it for you with the Old Testament and the New. And there's even some newer images for you to think about. The Exodus. Jesus' body being struck like Moses waved his staff over the water, being parted and split through blood and water comes our salvation. My favorite, if you don't know this from me, you will, Isaiah 53. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance, 
that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people, they couldn't even look at him. They turned away. He looked so bad. They looked away. He was despised. They didn't value him. Yet what was he doing? What was he doing? Absorbing our worst. Yet he himself bore our sickness. Absorbing our worst and carried our pains. We just continued to mock him. We regarded him stricken, struck down by God as a sinner, afflicted. But what was he doing? He was being pierced because of our sins. He was absorbing our worst. He was being crushed because of our worst, our iniquities. Punished so that we could have peace, so that we could have that flame flicker to life and say, remember me, please, last minute mercy. And he said, okay, you can be healed by these wounds. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread No mere symbol for him as he held the bread in his hands. No symbol. It was connected all the way back to that first Passover as the Israelites stood, staff in hand, cloaks on their shoulders, their stuff, everything they've got. Kids, get close. We can't even let this bread rise. We got to get out of here. God is saving us tonight. God is saving us tonight. Eat quickly. He took the bread, he gave it to them after breaking it and said, eat, partake of me. This is my body. Let's take it together. They huddled in those houses in captivity, on their feet, standing, ready, waiting for the moment. We don't know what it was like. We can only read about it and imagine it. But an angel of death came through. I think the Prince of Egypt does a great job of this. You see the spirit moving through and it comes to a house. You can see it, it's just moving with power. And it's, a, it's scary. People are hiding like this, but it comes to these doors and it looks and over them, the lintel of the door smeared is blood. And it says, and it moves on. It passes over. If you've ever wondered what that meant. How will your sins be passed over this this, let the love of God absorb your worst. And in that moment, you call out to him. He took the cup after giving thanks. He gave it to them and said, drink it, all of it. Take it, 
Why reject this? Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is the best promise you can ever have because it's from God. He won't break it. Poured out, poured out for you for forgiveness of sins. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to drink this again until we're all sitting around the table in the kingdom of God, in the new kingdom, the new garden. Come down. Let's take it together. So you may have noticed that we have flip-flopped uh, an opportunity for you to respond and worship. There will be people up here, prayer teams, um, I think, that would like to pray with you. But as I said last week, sometimes it's the person sitting next to you. It's that friend who's been inviting you a long time. They know what to say. But you may also just be sitting there and as we worship and as you let these words wash over you, sometimes I just sit and listen. That's okay. Also, you don't have to stand. It's not required. Jesus doesn't go, oh, didn't stand. If you want to sit, sit. If you want to stand against the wall. Sometimes that back corner is my best friend. When stuff's going on, I'll be in that back corner because I'm about to come up here and I'm terrified. <laughs> and I stand in that back corner and I just put my face in like this. It's okay. The point is, if the light is flickering, if the love of God is doing something, respond. Respond. Lord, we love you. Oh, we want to learn how to do this well. We want to learn how to talk to you, God. We want to learn how to commune with you. I've messed it up so many times and I've believed certain things about prayer. Lord, I think it's so good to start with this one because the extent of this guy's walk with you on earth was probably less than an hour. This criminal, robber, insurrectionist who believed in the power of the world and believed he had twisted, so twisted your words from scripture to think that his, your kingdom was somehow connected to rising up and violence and all just. And he said, you know what? I'm going to make a change <laughs> and it may last only for an hour. So Lord, the guy who walked with Jesus for an hour or less is our model prayer today. And Lord, we say best prayer ever because of how good you are. So Lord, as we sing together, uh, meet us. In Christ's name, amen. And hey, I went a little long. Sacrilege. Oh my gosh. No. And so I, we get it. If you need to grab your kids or something, you need to pop out, have a conversation. Just, it's okay. Nobody's taking attendance. Nothing like that is happening. So we're going to sing for a little bit. Um, if you need to leave, no big deal. Nobody's going to scoff at you. All right. Let's stand. Or not.